welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, really enjoying doing this podcast, and uh, I don't know if it always shows in my voice, because sometimes I have to whisper if I'm, if I'm in different parts of the house. Uh, kids and uh, the wife get a little angry. It's like, why are you talking so loud? Anyway, um, so I really appreciate everybody listening. Um, your podcast seems to be doing okay. I really don't have a big metric to, to compare it against, but but y'all are sharing it. Uh, people are downloading it. So uh, I appreciate you doing that. If Again, if you want to um, help get this podcast to grow more, then just please share it with uh, people you feel would have an interest in this subject matter. We're always going to stay on the subject of uh, pastured pigs and the raising of that process. Um, I felt it was possible, or I felt it was necessary, actually, to kind of re-discuss the purpose of the podcast. You know, we want to introduce... Um, producers of all sizes, any size, across the country and even across the world if we start to reach out that far, and just discuss the issues and successes with raising pigs on pasture. Uh, already in the interviews that we've done, I've learned so much and uh, really gotten some great ideas. It's just really neat to share information with one another. And as I talk to people in different climates, different areas, different topography, it's just neat to see um, successes and challenges, the benefits, the pros, the cons that everyone has with raising pigs in their unique situation. So I I really appreciate uh, just this opportunity to talk to everybody and and share the story. Well, before we get into our interview, um, I did want to give just a little update of what's going on here at Red Tool House. Uh, we have uh, we actually have a respite from the rain, so I'm I'm enjoying this uh, cooler evening tonight. And uh, sun's out um, this evening. But uh, as far as our pigs go, we have uh, this year, uh, due to some farrowing issues we had at the beginning of the year, we're actually taking a break from raising any feeders this year, or uh, taking a break from raising any growers this year, I should say. And uh, we're kind of getting uh, taking this time to reassess uh, our process, reassess our genetics. Uh, you talk about maybe starting over, going more toward heritage. There's all kinds of things we're still trying to figure out. So I'm taking this year uh, to really figure that out. And of course, using all this input I'm getting from the podcast to help uh, uh, kind of guide me in those decisions. But it's funny, right now I have my four sows that I've had, uh, um, uh, well, one's one, uh, Abigail, the oldest one, she's been on farm forever, and unfortunately, I think she's becoming more of the farm pet. She's uh, she's six plus years old and, and uh, doesn't really fare well, and uh, you know, like a dummy, I keep her on on farm. But uh, man, one of the most calmest, most docile pigs you'd have. Just just love her temperament, so I like having her around. And as you guys know, they raise pigs. They're like dogs, so they they are loyal. They are um, very smart. They'll come hang out. Um, yeah, they're just just a treat to have around. So, so I've got these four sows that we have on farm. Well, each morning, of course, I do my daily routine before I head into the office, and uh, it it involves me getting on my side by side up here at the house. And I say up here, our we're in a valley um, in West Virginia. Of course, we have a lot of a lot of mountains. So uh, the the 
pig area where I'm feeding them right now is down in the valley. The house sits up on this point. So each morning I get in the side-by-side, start it up, drive down to the feeding area. Um, it's about half mile, I guess, away. So drive down there, feed the pigs, and, um, and then of course, come back up. Well, the, the, talking about how so how smart pigs are, it's, it's like a Pavlovian experiment there. Every time they hear the starter on that side-by-side in the morning, they know it's feed time. So it, it, it's kind of funny. It's become a race, especially with all this rain we've been having. I don't want to... I don't want to be carrying their buckets of feed through the mud when they come down because they like to they like to you know, kind of knock you around a little bit, uh, just kind of come up and nudge you and you know nudge the bucket, lean against you. I mean these these are some pretty big sows. So we're talking you know, 400, 500 pound sows. So I try to get down there before them and get their bowls filled before they come down there and and start bowling me over. Uh, well, it's it's funny now that you know they've they're so used to that starter uh, sound on the side by side that they'll just They'll just book it down from their sleeping shed, which is up on the other ridge opposite of the house. So it's kind of funny. It's like a race. So when I start, I'm coming down one side of the mountain. They're coming down the other side of the mountain, and we're meeting in the middle. So it's who can get there fast enough. So <laughs> I find myself you know, throttling the side by side a little bit more than I should, busting out mud holes and everything as I'm blasting through there trying to get to the bowls before they do. <laughs> but anyway. So uh, on today's podcast, we interviewed Nate Bolak from Prairie Creek Farms, and that is in uh, just outside of Tulsa, uh, Tulsa, my goodness, I can't talk, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and actually about 20 minutes outside of Tulsa, which is, which is awesome, uh, and we'll get into that discussion with Nate as he describes his setup. Uh, but Nate, uh, it's kind of funny, back in 2015, Nate and two of his friends just through some motivation on a whim, decide, hey, let's get into farming. And uh, Nate actually tells a story about how he's got a history in, in medical sales, I believe, uh, something that has him traveling a lot for medical purposes, and uh, just seeing a lot of sickness and trying to figure out, hey, why are we always seeing these, these young kids, young adults having all these chronic health conditions, and started making the connection with, uh, with our food system. So just just in you know spending time on the plane reading and all that, it got motivated to to start a farm, to get into farming. Convinced two of his other friends to jump in with him, and in, in a little over three years, they have a booming pastured pork uh, uh, farm. Actually, it's more than pastured pork. They're now polyculture with grass-fed beef, grass-fed chicken, grass-fed eggs, and uh, they're pastured pork. And just really, really uh, having some success there in the Tulsa area. So we'll uh, we'll jump right into Nate's discussion there, and uh, we'll catch you on the backside. All right, everybody, really excited about tonight's interview. Um, on the phone with me, I have Nate Bolak from Oklahoma. Welcome, Nate. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Troy. All right, so Nate, uh, Oklahoma, is my understanding that is, is that the place where the wind comes sweeping down the plains? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm not native to Oklahoma, but I've been here for about 12 years now, and, and uh, yeah, a little too much wind, honestly. Yeah, you guys have had some uh, rough weather already this, this spring, haven't you? Yeah, very much so. The, the spring for us is kind of always unexpected, and, you know, it could be... 75 and sunny one day and then rain three inches and 40 mile an hour winds the next you never really know yeah yeah that's 
guess that's the beauty of uh, the price you pay to live in paradise, right? That's right. All right. Well, um, your farm is called Prairie Creek Farms. Um, why don't you give us a little background? I was looking at uh, information on your website, and, and I loved your story about how you guys got started. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, back up there to that discussion in 2015 that's noted on your website about uh, how you guys decided to do uh, Prairie Creek Farms and, and just some of the details about it. Sure. Um, so there's three of us. Uh, it's, it's myself, uh, Peter, and Jason that run the farm. Um, back in 2015, uh, I, I don't have a farming background at all. And uh, I'm from San Francisco originally, very much a city kid. Um, but been working in healthcare for uh, quite a few years. And uh, at the time, I was traveling around the country doing some consulting work for a hospital network. And uh, my job was to really identify areas of improvement in the hospitals in terms of getting patients through the process faster. And as I was sitting alone in, in these hotel rooms, I'm kind of doing some analysis on what the problem really here is. And I found that the problem is that everybody's so sick and uh you know i was going a lot into the south um you know we had emergency rooms in these hospitals filled with patients you know 22 year olds with coming in with chest pain and high blood pressure and 15 year olds with diabetes and i just kind of one night just started doing a little bit of research on the food system and then you know as we all know there's plenty of information out there and what's wrong with the food system um and then that led me to books like by Michael Pollan, you know, The Omnivore's Dilemma, which obviously led me over to Joel Salatin, started reading his books. You know, I'm on plane flights uh, all over the place and I've just got uh, podcasts and, and books on tape in my ear for hours and hours on end on these trips. And I'm listening to stories of other farmers and, and who's doing it right. And um, and I got back to Tulsa, which is kind of my my landing place. I was living with my buddy Peter at the time and. And I said, uh, we were going on a road trip to go move his grandparents out of a, out of their house in Texas. And I was like, hey, on this road trip, we're going to listen to this book. And uh, at the end of it, you're going to want to farm. And he thought that was hilarious because he knew that I'm not a farmer, nor would I ever be a farmer. Um, so sure enough, we listened to a, a book called um, Folks, This Ain't Normal by Joel Salatin. And... Um, by the we finished the book about halfway through the trip on the way back we were very much talking through the logistics of how would we raise the product what would we raise first you know we both had jobs obviously i was traveling a lot and we landed on pigs and pigs we determined you know they're a little lower maintenance than you know chickens and uh certainly than cows and uh, we, we liked pork, and we just kind of decided that pigs were, were a good fit for us. So um, then started our journey, and we we borrowed some land. Our, our, <clears throat> our friends of ours loaned us, uh, they leased us two acres of really scrubby woods. I mean, just thorns and thickets and a little creek running through it, just junk land. Um, and they thought it'd be really funny to kind of piss off the neighbors and let us run pigs over there. And so uh, we we did that. And, you know, we didn't have water on that property, but we had a creek that was wet all year round. So the pigs just drank out of the creek and we got some non-GMO feed um, from a feed mill in Arkansas and built our own feeder, built our own waterer, watched YouTube videos, how to set up an electric fence and 
Um, and then we just made a lot of mistakes <laughs> for the first couple of uh, months, for sure. Pigs <laughs> running all over the road and, you know, uh, you know, we had people calling, had a neighbor call in saying that our pigs were pooping in the creek. So the Department of Agriculture had to come out to the farm and inspect that we weren't running a commercial hog operation and draining all the manure into a creek. Um, but I'll tell you, that was a, an eye-opening moment for us when that guy came out because... He was uh, the head of the Oklahoma Department of Food and Agriculture. And um, once he came out and saw what we were doing, and he was looking around, and we were nervous about it, obviously. Um, and he just said, you know, I wish everybody was raising hogs this way. Wow. And he gave us a piece of paper, said we were good to go, went and talked to the neighbor, told him to chill out, and that was the end of it. And when that day happened, it was about a couple months before we processed our first hogs. And... I think that's when it really clicked for us that, you know, this is more than just a hobby. This might be, this might be something that we could really sink our teeth into. Excellent. So you, you guys at this time, you're both working uh, day jobs, I assume. Uh, Peter actually just went full-time on the farm. Jason is, uh, he's got a more flexible schedule. He's part-time on the farm. I still have a day job and I'm also part-time on the farm. So uh, the way things are looking now, uh, I think that pretty good chance that all three of us will be on the farm full time, uh, if not the end of 2019 and certainly spring of 2020. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I know I jumped ahead of there a little bit. So uh, that's my bad. So let's let's back up there. So uh, you're you're getting to where you're getting ready to do your first process and you're realizing, hey, this this could be more than just a couple hogs and a hobby. So uh, so going from that patch of dirt you obviously don't you're no longer on that patch of dirt right where, where are you now <laughs> right. um well after selling the first uh you know we processed our, our pork into cuts we had 10 pigs and we processed them we kind of sold them family and friends out of the back of our truck um and then we got a restaurant a pretty popular restaurant here in tulsa got their hands on some of our product and um they wanted more and so we're kind of talking about the logistics of supply and they wanted just ham steaks for their brunch. Right. And so anybody who's raised pastured pork, you know, you've got to move the rest of the pig. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of worked through the logistics and started raising, you know, we got another 10 pigs and then the 15, and then we had outgrown our, you know, two acres, obviously. Um, and then we had a friend of ours approach us and they, he wanted to get involved in the farm. And we said, you know, what we're really looking for is land. And so um, he basically just gave us the opportunity of a lifetime. He said, if I, you know, buy land or, you know, get some land, would you guys lease it from me? We said, absolutely, 100%. So um, we moved forward in 20, end of 2016. Let's see, we processed our first pig summer of 2016. By December of 2016, we'd moved to an 80-acre piece of property about 20 minutes outside of Tulsa. Hmm. Wow. And and that's where we are now, and we're actually about to lease the forty acres behind us. So, um, yeah. And so from there, we've got, you know, I don't want to jump in. We got a lot of animals now. <laughs> yeah. So wow. Okay. So let's let's unpack that for a second. So you sure. you guys went from from a couple acres to eighty acres, but you said twenty minutes outside of Tulsa. So I mean, that's yeah. that's a farmer's dream to have a market that large twenty minutes away. I mean, are, are you? Are you in an urban area? Are you guys still pretty rural there, 20 minutes out? We're, we're, yeah, we're pretty rural. Um, outside of, outside of Tulsa, it gets very rural very quickly. Um, and so 
yeah, being 20 minutes out is a huge advantage for us, especially because we, you know, now we're working with a lot of restaurants and we're doing home deliveries and all that. Um, it is, it's a huge advantage, but I'd say, I think the biggest thing that, um, I mean, we got a great deal on the land and, and the lease is great. The, the terms are great and we, um, and we get to stay there, you know, we've got a 50 year lease, so we get to stay there for a while. Um, and so we're tremendously blessed in, in where we have, but the biggest advantage of being so close is, um, you know, one of our biggest tools as from a marketing perspective, but also from a mission perspective is bringing people to the farm to see how animals are raised. And, um, I think with, with rural, you know, with most farms that are so rural and so far away, the, the people within the urban areas, the densely populated areas, it's a real task to get them to come to, out to your farm. I mean, that's a big commitment. A lot of times you're two hours, three hours out of town where, you know, when we tell people, hey, we're 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes away, um, you know, they come out on a Thursday after work. They take a tour of the farm, they buy a couple of chickens and they go home. And that the tool of bringing people to the farm is the biggest marketing tool that we have as farmers yeah yeah absolutely that's great i mean you're live just while we were talking there pulled up so tulsa looks like in 2017 census data says that's 400,000 yeah 401,000 uh population in tulsa so you're 20 minutes from a um from a mass of potential customers there and like you yeah said, it's 400,000 in Tulsa but the greater Tulsa metro area which is the you know there's seven or eight cities that kind of surround Tulsa real densely mm -hmm. that's about a million people wow <laughs> yeah all right well it sounds and like you guys Oklahoma City is an hour and a half away and that's about a million and a half no doubt sounds like you guys landed on your feet pretty good there then we did yeah we did all right well so um so you you said uh, something I have to come back to you say you've got a 50-year lease on these this 80 acres that's correct Wow. So that, um, so I assume kind of a dumb question then I assume you guys don't have any plans to, uh, to move anytime soon since you're looking at, you <laughs> said something about acquiring another 40 acres behind you. Yeah, it's, it's directly behind us. Like we, there's already a little gate between, you know, uh, there's a, a cross fence and a gate between our property. So our property is like a big rectangle of 80 acres that runs, you know, I guess it'd be a half mile, um, that, you know, our, the length of our farm. And so we, the, farm right behind us or the piece of land right behind us is an identical rectangle so we're just essentially going to take over half of that yeah wow um, but that's really just uh i mean this sounds ambitious but that's really scratching the surface of where we plan to be uh you know five years from now i mean we 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 strategically named our farm prairie creek farms with an s at the end um because our vision is to, you know, have multiple locations, specifically for the grass-fed beef. They require a lot of land. Mm. And um, and so we are going to, we'll be in the place where we're going to hopefully lease multiple farms out where we have, um, you know, beef and chicken and pork raised all over the place. And, and hopefully be able to, to be in the position to employ more people uh, to start raising more product. That's excellent. Well, so let's look here. So they um, it just amazed me. Two thousand sixteen. <laughs> you guys are this is barely three years into this. Um, yeah. So with the with that eighty acres, so so you have a lease payment. I assume that that lease payment you guys negotiated a deal there where your lease payment is going to is that one of those things that starts low and, and grows as you guys as you guys grow with it, or did you have a, a kind of 
a big nut to crack yeah. straight out of the gate. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, it started just really low, like low, like free when we first got there. And it was like, hey, let's get this thing set up and ready to go. Um, we also put, you know, part of the arrangement is like we are putting in a lot of infrastructure on the farm. Um, you know, we built, we put in silos, for example, we mill our own feed on site. Um, we mill our own non-GMO feed because we're just kind of at the scale where we have to. Um, and so we, we put in four 18 ton silos on the farm with augers. We put concrete pads, we put in plumbing. There was nothing out there. Um, and so we've got a little shop out there, um, with a little small living quarters, We've run 3,500 feet of water pipe since we've been out there running new cross fences. And obviously all of everything we do from a rotational grazing standpoint is improving the value of the land. Um, and so the the monthly payments are, are the least of our concerns, um, at least for now. I'm sure that, you know, that'll change soon. But um, for now, we it just gave us the opportunity to um, really dump gasoline on the on the Prairie Creek fire right now, and it's it's burning hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, that infrastructure, man, that that's going to pay off dividends. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well. Um, well, man, there's there's a ton of stuff here. So um, I know we're the um, the pastured pig podcast, but I, I I would be remiss if I didn't discuss uh, this polyculture aspect that you guys have. I, I think, I think there's a great benefit. You mentioned Joel Salatin and I've, I've been uh, following him for a while, been on his farm multiple more times than I care to admit, but the, the polyculture attitude, what, what led you guys to look and say, okay, we started with pigs. We, we got our feet wet with pigs. Now let's, let's get crazy and bring in these other animals. So uh, if you would briefly tell me w- what other animals you're, you're raising and, uh, and, and just the details behind that. Sure. So we're, you know, we started with pigs um, and then immediately moved into laying hens as soon as we got the property. Um, because what we found was, you know, it's just like any, any business model, you, you got a couple of different things you could do to, you know, increase revenue. And one of the easiest ones is to sell more products to your customers. So you could spend all day acquiring new pork customers growing your pork operation but once you have a pork customer it's pretty easy to sell them a dozen eggs yeah. and so that's how we jumped into eggs and we got a hundred laying hens and uh we were we got into a farmer's market tulsa farmer's market is outstanding uh we got into a farmer's market and we went in there just with pork and everybody was you know we did very well there but um it was very clear we had an opportunity in eggs so we jumped in and um, when we jump in, it's not like we bought one pig to start. We bought 10. So it's not like we bought 10 chickens to start. We bought a hundred. Um, and then we started producing eggs and could never keep up. We never had enough eggs. I mean, we'd go to the farmer's market that was 7 AM to 11 AM and we'd be out of eggs by 8:30. So we're like, okay, well, let's get another 200 laying hens and then another 500. I mean, right now on farm, I think we've got a thousand laying hens on farm right now. Uh, or thereabouts another 700 coming in June. Wow. Um, and we're still unable to keep up with the egg demand, to be honest. Um, the, then that pushed us, right. We've got eggs, we've got pork. Um, and when, then we got into grass fed beef, the property, uh, when, uh, our friend bought it, it came with cattle and we're like, great, we'll buy the cattle from, uh, that came with it. So we right there had, you know, 19 mama cows and, 
a handful of them were pairs. So they had a couple of, of little steers by their side and then they all gave birth over that next year. And then we're all of a sudden we're in the grass fed beef game. Um, and then, then the last step was, all right, we've got beef, we've got eggs, we've got pork. Chicken is the logical next step. Uh, meat chickens that is. And so we got, I think we've our first round of meat chickens is 300. Um, Oklahoma, I won't get too deep into this, but Oklahoma has pretty strict processing laws. The USDA allows for any state to, um, to any small farmer to process 20,000 birds on site mm -hmm. and sell them retail or wholesale yep. in your state. Oklahoma and a handful of other states have decided not to adopt that rule. And so we cannot process our own chickens and sell them retail or oh, wholesale yeah. to restaurants. So you have no so exemption we, whatsoever on none. Hmm. And so we have to take our birds out of state to Arkansas, which is about two and a half hours. Um, and we process those out of state at a USDA inspected facility. And then we bring those back. It's a huge expense, which really drives the price of our chicken. Um, but now we, we sell quite a bit of chicken as well. Yeah, yeah, and again, I, I know we, um, I, I find value in talking about these these um, these other livestock uh, discussions simply because of this polyculture aspect. And I've seen the same thing. I've had the same success on our farm. Is and we we're a little backwards, a little different from you. We started with the egg layers, and oh, you, nice. <clears throat> yeah, you realize that 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 touch point. You have all these touch points with your customers on a weekly basis, a biweekly basis, and then you say, hey, yeah, you've enjoyed our eggs. What about some pork? Would you like to get a whole or half hog? Or would you like some cuts? Would yeah. You... you want a bacon, pack yeah. of bacon to go with that. Oh, eggs. exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, you start, you know, the, the breakfast packets, all those type of things. So I, I love that idea. And, and for everyone listening that's saying, hey, guys, this is supposed to be about pigs. This is where I would, I'd, I'd really want to encourage those. If you've got the capacity to add additional animals, additional livestock to your operation, then you can yeah. see not only are you you're adding more opportunity for your customers to buy product off of you, but you've got more opportunity to contact them on a regular basis. You know, if you're selling holes and halves, you're selling it. You know, you're contacting your client maybe or your customer once every six months at at the earliest. But then also with cash flow, I assume you guys are seeing the benefits of cash flow when it comes to you know, weekly transaction with eggs, you know, with, you know, with pastured poultry, all those type of things. Yeah, and the biggest thing is that you know especially with chicken and, and pork, those two products uh, really, they clean up each other's waste. And what I mean by that is you have packaging break on your, you know, pastured pork chops or whatever. That's devastating, right? You try to eat them or whatever. You have something, maybe you have too much packaging break or something goes bad or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, I got news for you. The chickens will be psyched to have that pork chop, right. you know, and you go feed it to the chickens. Then you're getting a better quality egg coming out of them and vice versa. You drop a chicken in the field. Uh, you know, we call it wet protein. You toss that chicken right to the pigs. They'll devour it. Done and done. Uh, and they, they're happy to have it. And same thing with eggs. You've got a plethora of eggs. You've got cracked eggs, um, you know, throw them in a bucket, feed them to the pigs. They're psyched. And so it, it's like you have these waste streams and if you can take those waste streams and turn them into a value added product, then, you know, you're ahead of the game. And that's kind of the way we see things. It's like, all right, well, a waste stream typically from a chicken is all the manure. Well, we move the chickens all over the pasture, which helps the grass grow bigger, which helps the cows get fatter. And then we process more grass fed beef. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
So, uh, so I, obviously, you've embraced the Salatin model, and I know there's others out there doing the exact same thing. This whole idea of rotational uh, uh, polyculture uh, uh, animals on the on the pasture. Are you rotating your pigs in there? Or are you keeping your pigs separate from your pig pa- from your cattle pasture? Well, so up until this winter, um, we kind of kept the pigs off the pasture. Um, we have when we were looking for land. Um, we were looking for land that had a mix of at least 50 50 pasture versus woods um we've always kept the pigs in the woods and what we have is uh, we call them the bacon strips and so we've got on the side of our um of our property the whole property is lined with a big hillside and the hillside is all just oak trees and cedar trees and um anyway so you're i mean almost a half mile of woods um, and it goes up to the top of the hill. So what we did is we broke those woods into paddocks using electric fencing. And uh, we use uh, rebar, three-quarter inch rebar. And we drive that in, a three-foot piece of rebar. We drive it in with a T-post driver. Uh, and it goes down a foot deep. And then we put insulators on those. And we so we it makes your paddocks really flexible so you can bob and weave around trees. And we we built... Uh, well, see, now we've, we've got 17 paddocks, I think is what we've got out there. And they're each between three quarters of an acre and an acre and a half. And, um, and then we have gates in between each of the paddock, just a soft gate, a little you know, a pig panel, a 16 foot pig panel. Mm. And, um, that's what we use to rotate our pigs. Now this winter, um, when we got this piece of property, the pasture was in really bad shape. It had just been used for years. It's just a hay pasture. The guy didn't do anything with it. So um, we won't spray any herbicides or chemical fertilizers or anything. It's not really, you know, it doesn't really work with our model. So we um, we thought, well, you know, with the, this winter, we were running 130 pigs out there all winter long. And we're like, why are we just letting these pigs just poop in the woods? Let's put them out on the pasture. Yeah, they're going to tear it up a little bit, but it's probably good for it. It needs to be torn up a little bit. And let them drop all these thousands of pounds of manure that we're going to, you know, we're going to be feeding them thousands of pounds of feed. So all that manure, let's put it out on the grass. And that's what we did. So this winter, um, up until, I mean, six or seven weeks ago, we had uh, herds of pigs, 60 strong each herd rotating around the pasture so we put them in a two acre paddock and we would uh fill their feeders up twice so they had two uh one ton feeders so we give them four thousand pounds per two acres that's two thousand pounds of feed per acre Um, and then we'd move those feeders around within their paddock to kind of break up the disturbance because you've you know, if you've raised pastured pigs, you know that around their feeder exactly. it gets really tough. That's the pit. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Really tough. And then if it's wet, it gets really muddy. And so we moved their feeders around to kind of spread out their pressure. Um, and then we'd move them to a new paddock and then let that grow back. And, and I'll tell you what, uh, it's it's worked. Um, now, it's bumpy in there for sure where the pigs have dug themselves little holes. But um, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're bringing the cows back out there in about 30 days to, to start hitting it hard. So, um, yeah, so woods is our primary uh, place for the pigs. They thrive in that environment. When it's hot, they can go in the shade. When it's uh, cool, they can lay out in the sun. Um, and that's, 
yeah, your mileage may vary, but that's what works for us. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that's that's what you got to do. You got to test it and see how how it works and what works right. for your circumstance there. Well, one more question, and then I'll get on to some of the details. Um, and again, feel free to answer this at the degree that you want. So uh, you're kind of here doing the math in my head as as you guys have, as you said, you poured gasoline on the fire to to really get this thing rolling the past couple of years. Um, yep. Even purchasing 19 head of cattle, you know, that's that's not something you're going to reach into your wallet and grab a handful of cash and say, I'll buy 19 head. Right. So in that situation, are you guys are you guys using bank loans? Did you did you drain some savings? Do you have investors? How, how are you guys overcoming that uh, financial obstacle? Yeah, so we have um investor that uh, initially came on and the the way that worked, you know, to be perfectly honest, it was just um, interest-free loan uh, whenever we needed it. Awesome. And um, and so we haven't had to go to a bank uh, to, you know, well, we have, we, we financed a vehicle recently, a delivery vehicle. But other than that, um, when we've needed cash for expansion, it's been available to us. Um, but if it wasn't, yeah, we would absolutely just go to a bank and secure the financing. That being said, um, all three of us partners, we all have a significant financial investment ourselves into the farm. Sure. Yeah. That's great. So uh, we've only really had to tap that resource in, in rare circumstances. Well, excellent. And that's good. That's, that's the beauty of bringing on, on partners and, and, right. and, and spreading that out. All right. Well, uh, obviously, we've talked about the pigs. Let's talk about some of the details. What uh, what breed do you guys have? Do you focus on one particular, or do you, are you trying a bunch of different? Well, so we started uh, primarily by Berkshire, 100%, is where we started. Uh, after doing some research and watching about 1,000 hours of YouTube, um, we kind of found that a lot of people were, were moving that way. Um, the, the chefs wanted it. It was kind of from a marketing perspective. The Berkshire uh, Association or whatever had done a great job marketing that, kind of like Black Angus has done for beef. Um, and I think that um, it was just kind of our competitive advantage. There, you know, there were some other uh, smaller pasture-raised operations that were running pork too, and we were the only ones that were running Berkshire. So that kind of gave us an edge. We used that in marketing. Um, that was great and the burks do great in our environment it's you know they're hot heat tolerant they're cold tolerant they're hardy pigs and the quality of pork is outstanding um so if you ever if you haven't done any research on quality of pork berkshire quality of pasture-raised pork um you know you go on facebook there's lots of debates in these pastured pig groups uh who has the best pork but berkshires continually come out ahead uh durocks do very well um so after starting with Berkshires, and I'd say the first 300 hogs we've processed have been Berkshires, uh, now at the scale that we are, which we'll run 500 pigs this year, hmm. um, we, to be frank, we can't find enough Berkshire piglets. Yeah. And so we are moving towards um, a Berkshire Duroc cross. Um, and I think that that's the future. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Greg Gunthorpe up at Gunthorpe Farms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, he's done a fantastic job. I mean, the guy does so many pigs um, out on pasture, and he's running uh, Durox and Berkshire Duroc crosses. We talked to him in length, and we, we just kind of decided that's that's a good fit. Um, crossbred mamas seem to do a little bit better pigging out. We don't farrow on farm at this point, and so we've been – kind of at the mercy of our pig breeders who 
don't get me wrong they do an awesome job but they just really can't keep up and yeah. so yeah your we, whole operation runs. Next, yeah exactly yeah so uh especially now where we're you know essentially buying 40 piglets a month um it's now we're at the scale where we're we're going to save significant money if we start farrowing ourselves plus we'd have more control yeah absolutely yeah, that's, uh, I mean, farrowing obviously is a whole nother can of worms and, and yeah. uh, all the different options associated with that. But yeah, I agree that uh, that opportunity of of uh, being able to control that more. And of course, uh, biosecurity obviously comes into play there as well. Have you guys run into any of that with, with this mass purchase of, of wean pigs? Are you, are you running into much disease that you're bringing on farm? You know, our breeders have done a real good job now our breeders what i mean by that is our current breeders we have dealt with other people in the past and you know um to be honest some of them just didn't do a great job or um you know unfortunately we're maybe in a, a the financial place where you know if you lose your job or something like that happens and you know the livestock tends to be the last thing you feed over your family which is natural um and you know, we start getting shoddy looking pigs from people and then we have pigs dropping out or coming to the farm super wormy, um, you know, and we'd had to, we had to kind of find other breeders to, to fill that gap. So the, the ones we work with now, we've got three um, that breed for us and they do an excellent job and um, they are very savvy when it comes to biosecurity, very savvy when it comes to disease. We have a lot of conversations um, there's a disease that popped up. Uh, I'm struggling to remember the name. A disease that popped up recently at a in Oklahoma City at some sort of a show pig convention, and uh, it's a big scare for everybody mm. because it's a uh, something having to do with a diarrhea that has 100% mortality in piglets. Mm. Wow. Um, pretty pretty nasty stuff. So um, we're all very aware of that concern. We don't buy like pigs out of a barn that we don't know. Um, we don't, you know, go to the livestock auction and buy 30 pound, 50 pound pigs or anything like that. Right. Uh, we know where our pigs come from. And, um, you know, we've, we've had really good success, to be honest. So in that schedule with your breeders, are you, are, are they dictating the schedule as, hey, we're going to fare on these dates here's 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 when you're going to be able to pick up the piglets or are you guys asking them hey i need i need piglets on this date and, and they're setting their yeah. farrowing schedule our farrowers um they're in a very good position because we we've basically asked them to expand for us and you know it's it's an upfront investment on their part they got to go buy more sows they got to buy more boars farrowing huts whatever um and so our agreement with our breeders is we will buy every piglet that you can sell us we will never turn a piglet down if it looks good and um and if anything changes we'll give you a six month notice hmm. That's and fair. so yeah. it's put it's put them in a position where they can feel confident in expanding as much as they want to expand um and knowing that prairie creek will always be there to buy their piglets and then uh it's put us in a position to um you know create a little bit of loyalty with your breeders and where they want to kick out good-looking piglets and they want to uh you know work with work with you on the breeds that you're that you're trying to work with and stuff like that i mean they're 
our success as a business is their success. And so it's, it's created a really a partnership with our breeders. That's um, it's worked out really well. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Are they, uh, are they taking care of castration? Or are you guys leaving uh, boars intact? Yeah. So our, our uh, requirements from our breeders are they cut all the males and uh, they don't use uh, antibiotics uh, in, in, on their pigs. Now, if they need to give their sows antibiotics, whatever, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, uh, our marketing dictates that none of our animals have antibiotics at all. And so that's, um, that's something we do. And then we ask that they don't clip teeth or tails. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, other than that, they can run their operation how they want to op- run their operation. Yeah. That, and that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you had mentioned something uh, earlier about you guys are milling your own feed. Um, let's just talk about that briefly. So, uh, so you've gone non-GMO. Uh, you've put in your silos. I assume, obviously, you've got uh, your, your your milling operation, your milling equipment there. Uh, where are you sourcing? Are you sourcing local on on your material? Uh, so we source out of. Well, we just changed some things recently, but. Um, either Kansas or Oklahoma or Missouri. I mean, local within five hours of us. Um, we've got a couple of different non-GMO outfits. Uh, in Oklahoma, there really isn't anything non-GMO readily available. None of the feed mills mill it. Um, when, if any of the feed stores offer non-GMO, it's coming out of Texas. There's a company, Texas Naturals. And then out of Arkansas, there was Highland Feeds. I'm not sure if they're still in business anymore. Um, and so there, you know, there wasn't anything being milled near us. And so we have a friend that we met at the farmer's market who has a large contract with Heritage Foods, I believe it is. And so he raises non-GMO feed or non-GMO pigs. And he raises like a thousand a year for them. Mm-hmm. And they, I think they distribute to Whole Foods and stuff. So anyway, he started to keep his costs low. He started milling his own feed and he was the one that we started buying feed from, uh, pretty early on you know when we first started we would go to uh, buffalo missouri which is about a four and a half hour five hour drive pick up three tons of feed on a flatbed truck and then bring it back to the farm stored it <laughs> stored in our garage in town in tulsa uh stored in our garage on pallets and we were paying five uh four something five something a ton uh for bagged feed Hmm. And, you know, milling our own non-GMO feed, we're under $300 a ton at this point. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been outstanding. And so, yeah, we have a, you know, the silos, and then we had to, we order in, uh, we work with the guys over at Fatrell, um for mineral, and then uh, we order in a couple of other minerals and spices and, you know, all sorts of stuff. It's like, it's like baking, you know, you're like bags of flour and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, but we've got a, a feed mill that goes on the back of our tractor hmm. and just a big mixer grinder. And so we can grind up to three tons at a time. Yeah. So you guys have come up with a recipe that you like and you're kind of sticking with that. Yeah. We've got a couple of, uh, we've got the guys at Fertrell that have a, a, I don't know if you're familiar with Fertrell. They do mm-hmm. a lot of work with pasture raised farmers. Yeah. Uh, we, we do a lot of work with them. They put together a recipe and then there's a, there's an Amish outfit out of Kansas that put together a recipe. And so we've kind of mixed around things here and there. And, uh, and then our, our friend up, up in Northeast Oklahoma, he gave us, uh, his recipe and 
we've just been experimenting and what goes into that pig feed is milo uh which is sorghum mm -hmm. uh you know and uh we were using roasted soybeans till very recently and um we've been using soybean meal uh which is actually working a little bit better um and then uh in yeah and minerals and stuff so the pigs actually don't get any corn at all oh, even yeah. on gmo corn they don't oh. get any well, that's great yeah man it's nice having those resources uh around here in here in west virginia yeah. we don't have that we don't have that luxury yeah, <laughs> yeah no i understand uh the, that stuff's it's tricky you know I, I would say we call 10 feed mills before we find one that that knows a guy that has non-gmo soybean exactly yeah um and so it's just it's not very common but we like to think that uh i don't know like maybe we're helping create more demand for non-gmo soybeans oh absolutely <laughs> man that encourage moves the, more farmers to do that that moves the needle those the, yeah, the, yeah. When, when people see that much product going through that's that's supply and demand that's right well awesome well um i know you'd mentioned that uh, when you, you guys were first starting out you got in with some restaurants that were buying your pork um yeah. let's transition and talk about that a little bit so so you guys are going to be moving 500 pigs uh, this year. So how, what is your distribution process? How much is wholesale retail holes, halves kind of break that down for us. Okay. Uh, you want me to just stick to pigs in this part of the conversation? Yeah. If you don't mind. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so what really pushed us. So to be fair, last year we did, we finished about 135 hogs. The big jump to this year is because of wholesale. Um, we, if you, if you're in the pastured pig game and you sell retail, um, you're going to sell pork chops, you're going to sell bacon, and then you're going to be figuring out ways to move your hams and your shoulders. Hmm. And that's just the name of the game when you're selling pigs. It's like when you're selling beef, you know, you're selling steaks, you got to figure, figure out a way to move your ground beef. So the... A restaurant group approached us. Um, let me, I'll back up. We started selling wholesale in the summer, late summer, early fall of 2016. And we were just, we had one or two accounts. And then one of them was taken ham steak and the other one was taken pork shoulder. And that was a great place for us because that left us, you know, in a great position with bacon and pork chops. Um, then we opened up uh, an account with a large restaurant group in Tulsa and they own uh, restaurants in Tulsa, Oklahoma city and little rock, Arkansas. And they, we kind of became friends. We sourced one of their uh, kind of fine dining restaurants with pork chops. And that was painful to be honest, because we would start running out of pork chops from a retail side and we're selling them all wholesale. And that was driving us nuts because we're obviously losing money. Yeah. Um, so we kind of expanded to support the pork chop deal. And then we were doing, you know, then we're running groups of 20 pigs at a time, you know, finishing, I don't know, seven or eight pigs a month. Um, then this last November, um, we had a, a, that group reached out. And there's a restaurant concept called Fassler Hall in Tulsa. They've got an Oklahoma City and Little Rock. And it's a, it's a beer and bratwurst joint. And, um, basically all they do is pork and they've been sourcing all their pork commodity pork, you know, Smithfield or whatever through a local distributor. 
And we started talking to them about their vision to have all of their pork switched to local within, you know, whatever time frame. So we opened up that conversation January of 18 and went back and forth on pricing and logistics and how we were going to move the rest of the pig because they were going to take trim, um, you know, essentially anything that wasn't pork chops and bacon. Right, uh, they, we, we'd roll, we, yeah, we could roll hams in it, roll shoulders in it. And that was where it got very interesting for us because we're like, all right, well, if they just want trim, so basically any parts of the pig we want to give them, they'll take. Then we kind of talked to her like, all right, so that leaves us in the dream scenario for a pig farmer, and that is your long on pork chops, bacon, and tenderloins. And that's where it got really interesting. So fast forward, you know, 10 months, um, we finally inked the deal in November where all of their their three, you know, brought concepts were going to switch 100% over to Prairie Creek Pork. Wow. So you and guys will be sourcing all three restaurants. Yeah, we are now. And so that was in November and, um, and it's a lot. I mean, they take, oh, somewhere between four and 600 pounds of pork trim a week between all three of them. Goodness. <laughs> and so, uh, it's a lot. Yeah. And so the price works, um, contingent on us moving the bacon and the, you know, and the pork chops. But you go to any restaurant and they want, they've got a pork chop on their menu and they've got pork belly on their menu. And so if we wanted to wholesale all of it, we could and, you know, and, and charge a pretty decent price. Um, but it's really opened up more avenues for retail um, because now we've got like a couple little tiny boutique grocery stores in Tulsa and Oklahoma. We've got another organic farm that has a little farm stand that stocks our bacon you know, bacon and chicken breast and ground beef for the big grocery store sellers. So that's what we sell them. And uh, it's been a game-changing deal for us. Um, so the numbers work. Uh, we we ran them a thousand times. And, um, you know, we, we're able to we're, – we're in the position where it's very profitable for us to stay in this game. And what it's done, you know, on the back end is um, – now that we've got the publicity from this restaurant basically switching all of their products from all three of their locations to a pasture-raised product, it's waking other other restaurants up saying, all right, if, if Fassler Hall can do it, we can do it too. And then we're getting more phone calls. So we'll see what happens next year. No, oh, that's great. So, yeah. so obviously, man, that's, 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 a, that's a huge jump there. So logistically, how, how are you guys handling that with just just the logistics of, of shipping and processing and, and delivery? So are you guys doing weekly processing to, to provide those 400, 500 pounds of trim? Well, I'd like to say that we're doing weekly processing because that'd be a lot easier. But um, no, we're processing kind of in bulk. So we're bringing between 20 and 30 hogs into a USDA facility processing them all and then bringing a trailer and loading pallets of meat onto them. You know, I hesitate to, to say all this on your podcast because this is not my uh, endorsement for this particular practice. Sure. This is just what we're doing right now. And I don't love it no, because, yep. you know, it's, it's not the dream scenario. We don't have, I've got a 10 by 20 walk-in freezer on my farm. I really need a 20 by 30 walk-in freezer um, in order because we take trips to the processor, which is two and a half hours away. And so, you know, long story short, you do the math on that. 
it's a lot more economical to take 30 pigs to the processor once a month or, or once every three weeks than to take 10 pigs to the processor every week. Right. Yeah. And so we just be killing ourselves in hours and fuel, you know, drive time and dropping off pigs and all that. You're looking at a six hour round trip for one guy plus the fuel. And so, um, that just leaves us in a storage position. And so we rent uh, freezer storage in downtown Tulsa where we store pallets of meat. And then uh, logistically, we got ourselves a little delivery van. We got a little Nissan, tiny little city. What, I don't remember what it's called, the NV200. Um, and that's what we use for deliveries. And um, we haven't refrigerated it yet, but we will. Um, and so, yeah, we just we go to the freezer, load up the orders for that week. Uh, whatever it may be. And then we try to keep stuff in stock on the farm um, for the most part in, in our 10 by 20 walk-in. But uh, yeah, we load them up in the, in the freezer and then we have all of our orders um, in our little, uh, we use we just basically an email to store all of our orders. We load them up, we weigh them out, we issue invoices and we drop off. Um, and then the ideal scenario is you get a, a check on when you drop off some restaurants don't do that, and they, you know, they run a thirty-day net payout. But that's a whole nother can of worms. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for the bookkeeper to take but care. But that's, you know, <laughs> that's the wholesale side of it, and then there's the retail component, which is, you know, we've got a website, we've got an ordering process, we deliver home deliveries two days a week, um, and that, to be honest, is the future of um, direct marketing farms. Is is home delivery that's where it's going so yeah. either the farmers are going to do it directly or there's going to be a middleman that's doing it and collecting a check so we decided that we're going to be the middleman we're going to do it ourselves yeah we i mean we're on a much smaller scale but that's what we've discovered when it comes to eggs and pork it's it's a it's a weekly drive weekly route this is where we'll be go to yep. homes and in, in in tight urban areas and or go to centralized uh locations in, in broader sure. areas yeah yeah well good deal all right, well, man, I could go a little long here, but I could, I gotta. Are you good to go a little longer here? Oh yeah, no, you're fine. All right. Well, Peter's uh, got the farm tonight, so I'm not doing anything. Yeah, I hear you. All right. <laughs> so uh, the the last thing you talked about, or the last thing we'll, we'll talk about, is is going back to one of your first comments about having people on farm again, being 20 minutes outside of Tulsa, having people come uh, see the operation, get to get to just experience that way. So do you have an on-farm store or do you have any other agritourism elements that, that help generate revenue for you guys? You know, we don't, uh, we don't have an on-farm store, uh, yet. We have a lot of people asking for that. Um, we have a, we have a place to receive people. You know, we've got like a little covered porch and a, and a living quarters with a kitchen, um, that we have, we built it with the idea that we would like to have dinners out there. And, and last summer we did a luau, um, had about a hundred people out for a luau and we charged for tickets for that. You got to get, you know, you got to be careful depending on where you are. Cause you know, if you don't have a commercial kitchen, you really are not supposed to charge for dinners, that kind of thing. Right. So, um, we've got a great relationship with the chefs who are chomping at the bit to do dinners at our farm and they want to do them for free. They don't want to. They don't want to make any money. They just want to come out to the farm, and we market it and we sell tickets to dinners at the farm. They they want to do that kind of thing. Um, that's a revenue source for us. Um, we have people now that we mill. We have people come and buy feed from our farm for their own backyard chickens or pigs or whatever they've got going on. 
because um, we can sell them non-GMO feed cheaper than the feed store can. Yeah. And um, and but and then we are we're part of the agritourism, uh, the Oklahoma agritourism, which is great because it releases us some of some liability. Um, but we don't have anything on the farm that's really from a retail perspective making us any money. What we do do is every quarter we have uh, what we call the Prairie Creek Family Farm Day where we open it up to literally anybody can come. And um, we, if it's in the winter, we cook chili. If it's in the summer, we've got brats or, or something, you know, cheese platter, whatever, some snacks. And um, we also have a brewery on farm that, that should be open in the next month. Um, so we serve beer out there and we basically invite the whole community, whoever shops with us, whatever we promoted on uh, Facebook and Instagram and stuff and get people to the farm for a pasture tour for some free food. And then we have essentially our farmer's market booth set up at the farm um, and then we sell out of it. And so um, that we turn it into like our little grocery store for the day. And that's very, very successful. Uh, people want to go out to the farm. They want to bring their kids to the farm. They want to take pictures at the farm and they want to post about the farm on their Instagram. Um, and they want to leave with some product. And so we end our, our big pasture tour at the, the sale booth, you know, the little farm stand booth. And we basically ask everybody like, Hey, you know, please stop by here and, and pick up something for the road. And so, yeah, we would love to have a, a, a space on, on farm to be selling, but, you know, our cash right now is so tied up in an expansion um, for laying hens, pigs, cows, and all of that to keep up with current demand that uh, the idea of dropping any money or time into a retail space on the farm is just a back burner. Yeah, I mean, and those are definitely uh, peripheral revenue streams, and, and definitely right. uh, is just value added opportunity. You, you, you don't want to you don't want to get in the way of the mainstream. But it sounds like, yeah. I mean, my goodness, it sounds like you guys are already taking advantage of of that traffic, and, and your your customers are seeing this as a destination location to come to hang out, to experience, and of course, like you said, to buy product. Ideally, yeah. Well, this is great, Nate, man. I appreciate you taking the time to talk. I'd like to, um, one question I always ask uh, everyone when we wrap up here is, from your experience, what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Oh, man. There's so many things. Pigs still, i got all these other animals. Pigs are, are all of our favorite thing on the on the pasture. I mean, they're they got personality. They're a lot of fun. They're fun to watch. I mean, I could sit out there with a lawn chair and watch the pigs all day. I would not get bored. Um, they're very friendly. Um, honestly, my favorite part of the pigs on pasture is when people come out, especially kids and younger people come out and for the first time connect a pig with a piece of bacon. <laughs> and they you know it, it's such a foreign concept it seems so simple but it's such a foreign concept to most people that you know all this food that you eat every single day and the pork chop that you order or the sausage or the bacon or whatever it may be that these are coming from living breathing animals that somebody's got to raise and so that connection that you're making with people um you know for me that's what drives me and, uh, and, and pigs are the easiest thing to show off. You know, chickens aren't that personable and cows don't want to be that close to you. You know, they got that 40 foot distance. They like to keep between you and them. Yeah. 
um, pigs want to be up in your business. Exactly. And, your pockets. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And especially, you know, it's kind of, I tell people all the time, like you guys are welcome to go in the pig paddock, but I hope you're wearing something you don't care about. Cause they're going to be rubbing all up on you. And, um, you know, you come out there a muddy mess, but, uh, I think that that's something that's been so outsourced to huge, you know, companies to have somebody come out there and connect with it on a small scale and meet the real farmers that are, you know, raising this product and see how uh, a pig is, would live in nature if it wasn't being farmed. Um, I think that that, you know, that does it for me. And that's whether it's a pig or a chicken or a cow, um, I'm very mission oriented and my mission is to connect people with food and, and to encourage people to buy products that were raised by somebody with a face yeah and and i and i and that's that's where i'm headed with pasture pork for sure yeah and that's i mean that that's a great point that there's so many people that are disconnected from their food source and, and just just helping people bridge that gap and make those connections i, I agree that's uh that definitely is motivating yeah well, Nate, uh, before we wrap up here, where uh, if people want to find out more about Prairie Creek Farms, where can they find you? Uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on Instagram. It's just at Prairie Creek Farms um, and, of course, on Facebook. But you can go to our website. It's prairiecreek.farm, um, F-A-R-M. Uh, and, and please do, you know, we reach out via email, text, direct message, whatever it may be. If you have any questions or I mean, we, we are constantly reaching out to farmers that have been doing this longer than us uh, to try to find more information. And the most helpful tool to any farmer, especially a pasture-raised farmer that's just getting started, is farmers that have been doing it longer than you. And, you know, as you've heard here, I've only been in this game for you know, less than, well, I guess about three years now. Um, and so I don't have a wealth of knowledge. I rely on a lot of other people and a lot of YouTube. So um yeah that's the easiest way to get a hold of us social media for sure good deal all right man i appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us this evening and uh have uh have a good day on the farm tomorrow i appreciate it man thanks for the opportunity love what you're doing all right take care all right you too so as you heard there, Nate and his friends have had some really good success. Uh, you know, had some great opportunities there. Uh, you had great opportunities with the land. Again, man, what what a what a blessing it is to be able to access land like that on a lease that uh, is long term but has a sliding scale there allows them to to you know, have some, uh, you know, lesser overhead there. And they're going, you know, guns blazing. And that's just just awesome. I love to hear those success stories and yeah, I really appreciate Nate sharing his um, his story with us. Uh, I want to ch- I want you to challenge you to check out his website, prairiecreek.farm. That's prairiecreek.farm. Again, it's not a .com. It's a prairiecreek.farm. And it's it's a nice website. Again, as some of you know, maybe you don't know, that uh, my day job is I own a small marketing company. So we do web design. We do digital marketing. We do all that kind of stuff. Um, so I look at his website and I, I really like his website. It is built really well. It's clean. It's, it's a really good farm website. It has a web store element. So they're selling products online there. Uh, it's just very clean, very well built. So if you want an example of, uh, of a good 
farm website that does e-commerce, then, then check that one out. I, I, I was impressed with it. Well, again, uh, if, uh, if you have the opportunity and you don't mind, please go to iTunes, to uh, Google Play, to Stitcher, uh, and, and leave some reviews. Give us some reviews so we can be seen. Uh, if you would, please share our podcast on social media. Send it to friends that uh, have an interest in what we're talking about. And uh, you know, um, feel free to write a review if you would. We'd be more than happy to hear um, some, some positive feedback. Uh, negative feedback, I guess you could leave that too. But we'd love to have feedback nonetheless. Uh, let us know what you all think. All right, we'll take care, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 